You can now relive the best moments of the UEFA Champions League 24-7. The UEFA Champions League channel is a new 24-hour streaming channel serving non-stop goals, highlights, and full match replays from the world's most prestigious club competition. Reminisce on your favorite moments, legendary players, and brilliant goals with the UEFA Champions League channel, streaming around the clock on Pluto TV and the CBS Sports app. Everybody, welcome into the flagship podcast. I am Chip Brown of Horns247.com, joined by Horns247 managing editor, the one and only Taylor Estes. And Taylor, it is fall camp starting this week for the Longhorns. We got a chance to talk to Steve Sarkeesian and like a rare appearance from his coordinators or any assistant coach for that matter uh kyle flood the offensive coordinator offensive line coach pete kwiatkowski the man on the hot seat today uh getting all kinds of questions about what the bleep happened to that defense last year and jeff banks the special teams coordinator and uh i think we probably have to start we're not even going to start with Steve Sarkeesian. We're going to start with Pete Kwiatkowski because the defense was terrible. Uh, it gave up record numbers last year, 31.1 points, 201.6 yards per game rushing, 5.2 yards per carry, second worst in school history, Taylor. And when I look at the numbers, 333 yards rushing given up against Arkansas, 339 given up against OU, 220. Uh, against Oklahoma State, 231 against Baylor, 218 against Kansas. Like, what are we talking about a pass rush for? There was never an opportunity for Texas to rush the passer because teams were running on first and second down and getting a first down. Yeah, no, no doubt about it. The annual talk with the coordinators definitely did not um, work out, I would say, in Pete Kwiatkowski's favor here. And, and I kind of felt for him a little bit, you know, we're – Texas starts fall camp Wednesday, and we are recording Tuesday night right now after talking to Steve Sarkeesian and his coordinators. And the last time we spoke with Pete Kwiatkowski or Kyle Flood or Jeff Banks was last summer around this time, right before fall camp started. And so we never were able to get questions answered by Pete Kwiatkowski of what really went down, what went wrong, actually, is a better way of, of phrasing it with the defense last year. So as everybody is focused on Texas fall camp 2022, this was the first instance where we actually got an opportunity to talk to the coordinators and especially Pete Kwiatkowski to figure out what as you said, the bleep went down last season. So I kind of felt for him a little bit. I do think that he, he, I thought he was embarrassed. Didn't you? Yeah. I mean, you could tell that he, I mean, he was being asked, you know, not, not like hardball unfair questions, but definitely questions that I think everybody has been wanting answered. And you could tell there was nothing. The one thing I'll give him credit for is he was not making excuses. He wasn't doing anything. It was just kind of like, you know, we, we didn't do things right. And I think that there's probably a lot more that he wanted to say, you know, I think that there was a, a talent deficiency on the defense last season. Um, plus, you know, he did talk about 
the uh, the new staff coming in, they're all trying to get familiar with each other, having not coached with each other. Players took a while to build trust. I mean, there's a lot of other factors that played into the season last year, but he all he didn't say a ton, but he said a lot without verbalizing it because I think if you actually paid attention to his answers to some of the questions, you really did get a true answer when he was being a little bit more mum. For instance, the pass rush was asked, you know, let's talk, or um, I want to mention the pass rush and Pete Kwiatkowski, who's a very, you know, not really a jokester type of coach, just kind of straight to the point goes, what pass rush? And it's like, every, you know, I started laughing. Everyone in the room kind of started laughing because it's like, well, he said it, not us. But and in all actuality, when you go back to last season, where was there a pass rush? When did he actually rush, rush the passer? When did he have the opportunity to send in a pass rush? Because as you mentioned, the run defense was so bad. The secondary was a liability. I mean, you're not going to send the house when you don't trust the guys to you know, stop the run or even be out in the secondary on their own, even in one-on-one -on -one, um, coverage. I mean, there's a reason why he said that. It wasn't just to make a joke at the fact that Texas leading sack leader was um, Ben Davis with two and a half sacks who came off the bench and didn't even play every game. It was, I think that the reality was he didn't really call much of a pass rush because he didn't trust the ability of guys on that defense. And that, that says a lot about, um, about, I think the overall picture of the defense in 2021 chip. What, I mean, what was your take on it? Yeah. He didn't trust the players. The players didn't trust each other. Kwiatkowski mm -hmm. said, I mean, he said, you know, in their failure to set the edge in the running game and, keep perimeter running plays from gashing them over and over again in games like Arkansas and Oklahoma. Um, he said, guys, as adversity would strike, guys would start trying to do too much to make up for what they feared their teammates were not going to do. And it was a disaster. And so, you know, will that change this season? Um, he just said, Hey, we've got to, we got to trust each other and do our jobs. And that's what every coach says, but this is going to be fascinating because there are, you still don't know who the best pass rusher is. It might end up being DeMarvian Overshawn, you know, from the strong side linebacker position as they try to move him out of his weak side linebacker position. Thanks to maybe the improved play of David Benda and Diamante Tucker Dorsey. Um, but you don't know who the pass rusher is. Uh, Steve Sarkeesian, when I asked him the three biggest questions position-wise going into camp, he said offensive line, secondary, and kicking game. The secondary has all these guys who've moved from other positions. We've, You and I have talked about this uh, ad nauseum because Michael Griffin came on the flagship podcast and said that six-foot-three Ohio State transfer corner Ryan Watts is a safety even if you line him up at the boundary corner position, he's a safety. I mean, there are major questions about the secondary, and and that's frightening. I mean, when when Pete Kwiatkowski started talking about the secondary, he looked kind of nervous and said, they're your last line of defense. It's essential they get guys on the ground. And, you know... You talked about how the star in the safety position, the, the star position where Anthony Cook played last year, very similar. They're both down. They're rarely in the field or in the single high safety um, mode. They're down uh, closer to the linebackers and 
and blah, blah, blah. Anthony Cook uh, is the guy they're pinning all their hopes to. God forbid something happens to him because um, the depth behind him is J.D. Coffey and Mo Blackwell, who you know just moved from linebacker. They love Mo Blackwell, but he's a guy who struggled to put on weight. He's a big hitter. We saw it in the spring game. I love Mo Blackwell. I think, you know, get him out there, get him some reps. The guy might end up being the next Kenny Vaccaro. I don't know, but he's not that fast. But anyway, it, it just, it's, I mean, it was sobering today. It was sobering because Steve Sarkeesian, in my opinion, has done a great job of sort of, you know, putting a bow on what happened last year, you know, we changed out 35 guys. Um, you know, they got, he got his own guys in, um, you know, I didn't do a good enough job team building. We've been focusing on team building all off season and, you know, we're doing these things that we've been talking about on defense to improve things. And then Pete Kwiatkowski starts talking and you're like, Oh geez, you know, and he's getting asked about Gary Patterson and he tried to tell a funny story, but it, kind of wasn't that funny. I mean, he, he said, look, Patterson's a resource. I went to him when I was at Boise after they beat us in the poinsettia bowl. And then the following year, Boise beat TCU and knocked him out of a, you know, beat him in the Fiesta um, bowl. Fiesta bowl. Mm-hmm. And Gary, like Pete Kwiatkowski said that Gary thought it was because of the idea sharing that happened between him and Kwiatkowski the previous summer. And then he just kind of glossed over it and was like, and then the next year TCU went to the Rose bowl, like trying to finish that story on a high note for Gary. Um, so, and you know, he said he's a resource. We go back years. It's fine. Taylor, you and I both know if this defense doesn't get off to a good start, the fans are going to be calling for Gary Patterson. It's a, Hey, it's a publish or perish, get it done or see ya. Uh, business in college football these days, producer parish. And so Pete Kwiatkowski has got all kinds of eyes on him. He's got Gary Patterson over his shoulder. Let's see what he can do, starting with uh, the start of fall camp. Yeah. And I will say one thing, you know, when, when you talk about him being on the hot seat or whatever, from the fan perspective, I thought Steve Sarkeesian brought up a pretty good point that I'm not really sure too many people had considered a lot because overall the defense as a whole, I mean, if you look at a stat sheet, which a lot of fans will look at and think that that tells the story, then it looks terrible. It looks like just an awful, awful defense. You look at the rankings finishing in the bottom, you know, part of uh, FBS defensive statistical rankings, all of it looks bad. One thing that Steve Sarkeesian, and I'm not ignoring that. So let me preface with that. One thing Steve Sarkeesian said today that I thought was pretty interesting and something I maybe not had considered was, you know, he was asked about the defense. And when you look at what happened with the defense, like what, what was it? And Steve Sarkeesian said, you know, I think your first thought is to think it's the scheme. The scheme's the problem. There's it's a a scheme issue and that's what we got to get figured out. And he's like, but the more you start uh, studying it, the more you realize that, well, the scheme worked at various times in games. It's just especially early work. in games. Yeah, especially early. It just didn't work on a consistent basis. And as games wore on, the defense broke down. 
And it kind of tied adjust, into right. Yeah, they didn't. Yeah, and it kind of tied into what Pete Kwiatkowski was talking about when you know the the guys were doing well at times, but once the wheels started coming off, it was like impossible to get them back. And that was that all kind of ties back into culture. All everything that you've heard Steve Sarkeesian talk about this offseason, him not being close. And we've talked about this ad nauseum too about the defensive staff. None of them had coached together before. I mean, Pete Kwiatkowski was one of the last hires um, on, on the defensive staff. And usually coordinators more times than not get to at least have a say in the position coaches that they do um, add to a staff. But that was I think a- Steve Sarkeesian thought he was getting Pete Golding from Alabama and Nick mm-hmm. Saban after. Sarkeesian right. had raided his staff mm-hmm. of, you know, Jeff Banks, primarily Kyle Flood, uh, AJ Milwe was like, no, you're not taking Pete Golding. And yes. Yeah. It was kind of a, a second, a secondary move probably, I think is probably the, the right way to approach it. But I, I did think that was kind of interesting because I think the thing that you've been hearing a lot of the, um, you know, anger from the fans and stuff is about Pete Kwiatkowski's scheme, but in all actuality, no scheme is going to work if you don't have the proper players or talent. You, you, you're only as good as the talent on your team, right? I mean, there's so much, there's little things that people can have different type of personality traits, you know, being a very smart when it comes to X's and O's and football, knowing football. But if you don't have the elite talent, you're only going to do so much. And I kind of feel that without saying it, Pete Kukowski kind of said that a talent deficiency was an issue last season. I think anybody with a brain that looks at, you know, what went wrong in 2021 on defense, even look at some of the guys that have transferred out. They didn't land at power five schools for the most part. They on defense, they went to smaller tier type of, you know, um, non-power five type of schools or lower. And so, yeah, I think that it was interesting to hear Steve Sarkeesian kind of not dismiss or excuse the scheme as being the issue, but just hearing that perspective. Cause I, I feel like we haven't really heard him talk too much about this like scheme and schematics of the defense as being a problem. And then hearing him kind of use it as not, not, you know, a forgiveness or anything like that, but, but defending the fact that there were at times parts where the schemes did actually work. It just, well, you know, didn't work consistently throughout the game. I thought that was interesting. Yeah. I mean, he said, I want to give our coaches a pat on the back. We were well prepared for games last season. And he used the Iowa State game where they're down, you know, they lost 30 to seven, but they were leading seven to three at halftime and playing what he said was, quote, really good defense. And that's true. And then against Oklahoma State, they're up 17 to three. And he said, and we throw a pick six on offense that allows Oklahoma State back into the game. That wasn't the defense. Um, making a mistake to allow Oklahoma State back in the game. It was the offense. And and so, you know, you can look at the Oklahoma Baylor. The defense was playing well early. Um, people forget. Then all the drop passes, the fake failed fake punt against Baylor is what ultimately led to that loss. Now, the defense was worn down in the fourth quarter against Oklahoma State, gave up over 120 yards rushing. Oklahoma State ends up erasing a double-digit uh, deficit in the third quarter, but I mean, it, if you're looking for that silver lining, that was it. That was it. Steve Sarkeesian saying, look, schematically we were well-prepared and what we were doing was working. We just couldn't get the offense and the defense to have everything going at the same time, play complimentary football. 
And then as teams adjusted, we didn't adjust well enough to answer. And that, that part is, is where that, uh, togetherness, all the team building that's happened this off season had better show up this season when adversity strikes, because if it's wheels off again, Taylor, this thing is gonna, you know, has a chance to be a derailer and, and this team cannot let that happen. So, uh, interesting points there. I think those were the highlights with regard to Pete Kwiatkowski. Kyle Flood, on the other hand, Taylor, was showered with questions about, look at all your shiny new uh, toys to, to play with. Kelvin Banks, DJ Campbell, Cole Hudson, uh, Malik Agbu, Nato Yumizolu, um, you know, Connor Robertson. And the questions were more, how many freshmen are going to play in the offensive line? How quickly can they get there? And doesn't Calvin Banks have to be a starter? He's so big and strong and fabulous. And which is funny because that's probably the biggest liability on the team going into the seat. It's just funny to hear the line of questioning, right? When you hear, you know, like that the offensive line is this great, you know, talent unit. And it's like, they had a great off season of signing guys, but they had the most, you know, the most to prove, I think. And they're the biggest liability on this team. Yeah. And it's, and, and I thought Sarkeesian handled, he got a question literally saying, doesn't Kelvin Banks have to be a starter? And, and Sarkeesian said, not a good question. Like, yeah. why would I possibly put that kind of pressure on that kid? You know, when we've got all these other positions that are up in the air, it's not like Kelvin Banks having to be a starter is going to make or break the season. Um, I think everyone gets where the question was coming from. Are you hoping that Kelvin Banks is capable and, and qualified to be one of those kids like Evan O'Neill at Alabama who walks in as a freshman and gets it and is up for the fight every single play, as my man Dan Neal likes to say. If you're an offensive lineman, it's the only position where you're in a legal street fight on every play of the game. Um, you know, you got to have guys who look at it that way and love it and could Kelvin Banks be that guy? Maybe, but this is, um, it was a different line of questioning for, for Kyle flood, it, it, you know, and he kind of deferred all the quarterback questions to Sark, but we all know the running back room and the wide receiver room are talented and he coaches the offensive line. So that's where all, all the questions went. And, um, we're going to have to wait and see because Steve Sarkeesian isn't ready to he's not even close to naming a starting offensive line at the, at this point. No, I think he's, I think Texas is in a closer situation of naming a starting quarterback over a starting offensive line. And that, I mean, before Chip and I started recording, we were talking about this a little bit, like the only one that you can think of that maybe has a set role is junior angle out right now. Right. I mean, yeah, maybe I, like I I'm trying to think if there's anybody that really has, a clear cut starter. Uh, I mean, I think there's guys that you assume are going to turn into those players or assume are going to start based off experience and whatnot. But I think there's only one player that really is set as a starter on offensive line. That's junior angle out. And he's entering what his fifth year at Texas, I believe. He's a, uh, right he, I think he's junior? a fourth year guy. Christian is a Christian Jones, a fifth year guy. Okay. And and yeah, I, I, Junior Angelau is the best run blocker on the team, according to Pro Football Focus. He's not a great pass blocker, but y you know Kyle Flood said that he's got Connor Robertson, Cole Hudson, and 
DJ Campbell. It's not Devin Campbell anymore, Taylor. It's DJ Campbell. DJ Campbell, yeah. <laughs> um, all snapping the football this summer. So, you know, when I asked Flood who the backup center would be behind Jake Majors, he said, good question. Not sure yet. Yeah. So, so many things are going to play out on the offensive line during fall camp. That's exciting and horrifying. <laughs> uh, with Alabama coming in week two, and it will be, well, let's just say this. Uh, we will be getting to the end of our position battle countdown, uh, position battle ranking countdown here in a minute, and there might be something along those lines. Uh, yeah. But it's, you know, it, it it's it's the number one concern on Steve Sarkeesian's list. So yeah, no, it we'll is. I, I did just check. Junior Angelo's entering his fifth year here. Oh, he is. Yeah, he was born. Oh, this the is 20... the problem, Taylor. Here's the problem: the fact that we don't know it off the top of our head, right? <laughs> like, well, that and if they haven't shown you something, like that, they're difference makers at this point in their career. Mm -hmm. What the bleep makes you think they're just suddenly going to figure it out in their fifth or what? Topia Amati was in his sixth year last year. Denzel Okafor. I mean. I'm not trying to be negative, but my man, Dan Neal is always telling me this. Look, if they haven't shown you that they're up for the fight and they get it and they know how to read their, you know, the guy across from them and, and how to set for all the different moves and they haven't shown you in their first, second, third, going into their fourth year, they're not going to show you. Yeah. And that's, that's the hard part. And yeah, so. We're not trying to be negative. It's just the reality of the situation. I mean, and especially a guy like Junior Angelau or Christian Jones, who did redshirt, you know, got had that whole redshirt year that every coach in college football essentially wants for offensive linemen, just like if they have an ideal situation, they want that for quarterbacks too, to learn the game. He had it. A lot of these guys had it. They were not relied upon as a true freshman. They are not in a situation like a Connor Williams or even a Derek Kerstetter. I mean, they have had the time to learn the game. And if it's, as you mentioned, if it's not clicking, it may never click. I mean, the, you know, the, he's, what are you, at, at five years, he's probably, what, 23, 24 years old? Right. And I mean, he's almost my age. The, the offensive <laughs> linemen who end up going to the NFL show you as freshmen Right. That they're going to be, or redshirt freshmen, that they're going to be special. Mm -hmm. And that's what you saw from Connor Williams. It's what you saw from Sam Cosme. Even Derek Kerstetter, who was the highest rated offensive lineman on the team last year, according to Pro Football Focus, uh, showed you as a freshman that he could play, played right tackle, and then comes back from a shattered ankle and ends up as the highest rated offensive lineman on the team and deserves credit for that. He was definitely a leader. Uh, from that offensive line group, I don't know who the leader is now. I mean, Junior Anglau says he is. That's not what I'm hearing. You know, he's not a guy who's going to get in your face and and hold you accountable. It sounds like from Bijan Robinson's story at camp, Kelvin Banks is going to be that guy. He tried to joke with Banks. Banks looked at him like, I'm about to punch you in the face. Yeah. And that's what they need. They yeah. need guys who are big, strong, nasty, intimidating, and leading the toughness charge. Every right. coach wants the toughness to be on the front line. If you're a basketball 
Coach, you want your point guard to be one of your best defenders. Set the tone defensively for the whole team. For an offensive line, the toughness comes from the off- you know, offensive line. They establish it all the way through for the most part. Because Roshan Johnson being a hard ass and a tough guy, that's one guy. You know, the rest of the team follows those offensive linemen because they're also the most intimidating guys in the locker room. And if they get in your face, then you're going to, by God, you're going to toughen up in a heartbeat. Yeah. And that was not, I mean, even last season, remember the scuffles uh, in summer workouts? It was usually offensive linemen complaining about having to do extra work and some other people stepping up to them. I mean, that, that, that's. The reality of the situation. So this is this is going to be. I mean, I, I feel for Kyle Flood a little bit because hearing all these positive questions and all of this, you have to know, like in his mind, he has to be thinking, like, can we maybe let these guys put on pads before we declare that they need to start as true freshmen? I mean, they've been on campus for a hot minute at this point, and there's only been one guy of that the freshman offensive line class that's even worn pads at the college level, which was. Um, uh, Cole, Hudson. Cole Hudson, you know, during, during spring practice, but of one of seven is not going to give you an answer, bef- you know, before the first practice of fall camp, he, that still is going to be a position has a lot to prove. And, um, you know, I, I, though, I think the one thing that you have to give Kyle Flood the benefit of the doubt is, is the fact that he's been able to recruit that position really well. Let's just hope that fans can give him a little bit of time to get these guys, on campus for more than a month before people start determining if they're a bust or not because they're true freshmen on the offensive line <laughs> they're highly talented prospects coming in. I think he's got it. He, he has earned some time to at least develop these players, um, you know, as they've been on campus for more than well, a year, several years, I think. And it's a lot easier to play a freshman at tackle. If you have a veteran guard right, who can, you know, either give him a signal or a tap to let him know exactly what is happening or is about to happen. Um, and Texas may be, maybe uh, in that position on the left side with Junior Angelau just because he's been around and he, he's a good run blocker, not a great pass blocker. But um, you've got, you know, Hayden Connor as a potential guard. And honestly, um, Christian Jones could end up at guard. Um, but you got to think that DJ Campbell is going to have something to say about that too. So that right side of the line could be interesting. Um, that's where Christian Jones is right now. And Taylor, we'll leave, we'll leave that there. Cause we will be picking that back up in the, uh, position battle rankings countdown, but, uh, special teams coordinator, Jeff Banks, I mean, he's replacing Dicker the kicker, and you and I have talked about this. This is this is huge. Like Texas fans, Texas football have had it pretty darn good. Cameron Dicker now the all-time points leader among kickers at a school that produced uh, Justin Tucker and Phil Dawson, and now you're probably turning to freshman Will Stone. Jeff Banks uh, acknowledging today that. Will Stone was their second choice mm-hmm. that they offered a kid named Robert Gunn. Now he didn't say this kid's name, yeah, but did. I looked it up. He signed at Clemson. He did say he went to Clemson or whatever. So. He, yeah. He said he, 
our, we offered a kid. He decided to go to Clemson. So we jumped on Will Stone. Uh, Robert Gunn from Largo, Florida, by the way. Now fans are going to forever compare his career to Will Stone's career. But Jeff Banks uh, obviously uh, feels a little bit better about Will Stone because as Cameron Dicker said, when he came on the flagship podcast, he helped to train Will Stone as uh, you know, kind of a freelance kicking coach and said, told us, told Jeff Banks, this kid's got an unbelievable leg on kickoffs and, and can handle it. And so that's reassuring uh, praise, but Taylor, Cameron Dicker's not going to be out there holding Will Stone's hand no. uh, if he's got to kick a game winner with one second left. So, you know, Banks is like, we can have, we can try and avoid getting into those situations where we're going to have to rely on Will Stone for a game winner. But you and I both know it doesn't always work like that, especially in close games when you're, you know, down two and you're trying to do anything you can to win a game. You might just end up in that situation. Cameron Dicker showed as a freshman when put in that situation against Oklahoma in the Red yeah. River shootout that he'd give him the, the up fake or whatever. The, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, I got this. <laughs> Joseph Osai kicks the 40 yarder with nine seconds left. Boom. Texas wins the game. So they feel somewhat good about Will Stone. And then Banks said of Isaac Pearson, he might be the hardest working guy in the team. Like he works too hard. He right. Too much. <laughs> yeah. I thought that was interesting. You said that, you know, if you're driving on MLK Boulevard or driving near the stadium, you could almost assume that uh, Isaac Pearson is on the you know field at Denius or in the stadium practicing punting. And so Banks's whole deal with him this offseason has been to work smarter because he's the hardest worker on the team. But when you're a kicker, you can tire yourself out more and more, which obviously can lead to um, you know, poor play plus potential injuries with, you know, you using the same muscles time and time again. But yeah, I thought that was really interesting. And, and especially the fact that he was, what was it, a coal miner? Yeah. That what, yeah. That high Isaac school Pierce, in Australia, yeah. he worked in a coal mine. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah. like Banks is like, that's how tough he is. Yeah. <laughs> All right. No, I mean, yeah, I, I think, you know, Jeff Banks, if, if they're, while special teams obviously is a big question, he has said that he doesn't recall a time in his career where he's had to replace, you know, all three kicking positions from a field goal kicker, kickoffs plus punter in one year, let alone having to do it with so much inexperience and young guys to kind of lean on. He did, you know, say this is a first in his career, but Jeff, I mean, you talk to any coach in college football, head coach, assistant coach, you name it. If you, they have run across Jeff Banks, coach alongside him, anything, the 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 talk about Jeff Banks is the same. And it is that he is the best special teams coordinator in this sport. I mean, and I've talked to people all over the country and literally this, it's one of the only instances of a coach that I've covered where all of the feedback is the same and it's all a positive in their coaching ability. I mean, that's just never happened, honestly, in my career. Um, and so I do think that the, the, while this is a huge, you know, question mark entering the season, entering fall camp, a lot to prove a lot of inexperience that is going to have to prove itself. If there's one coach that you want to be managing that it's Jeff Banks. And so 
you know, it still is a concern. Obviously, there's only so much a coach can do aside from going out and kicking for, you know, the the specialist. But he's a guy that is primed to to try to, you know, make the best out of the situation and it's proven to do so time and again at different stops of his career. But still, you know, him saying you don't want to it, sometimes it's unavoidable, but you don't want, you know, to have a freshman go out and be put in a situation for a game winner. I mean, if anything, that's a call out to the offense too, right? A little bit like, that's all right. right, try to help, try to help them out here because I'm known as the best special teams coordinator in the country. And I know better than to put all of that pressure on the kick. Cause I could, I mean, Cameron Dicker is a special guy. Like the fact that he handled that OU kick so just smoothly and just, you know, like another day at the offense type of thing, not every hard, I would say very few true freshmen would ever feel that way, especially in that environment. I mean, this is not just a game winner at home or on the road. I mean, that environment in the Cotton Bowl is so unique. And in the OU end. Yeah, in the yeah, where it is, I mean, it is like bone chilling, honestly, how loud it can get and the momentum shifts, especially if you're on the field. I mean, obviously, I've never played in there, but I've been on the field on the sidelines and you could feel it just standing on the sidelines when it's so deafeningly loud on one end and so definitely, deafening, deafeningly silent. I can't say that word, but definitely. It, I mean, it, Definitely, yeah. Got it's that. so <laughs> it's so I mean you can feel it. You really can, even if you're not a part of the game. So Cameron Dicker's a special talent for being able or a special person, I guess we can say not necessarily even a talent. Yeah, thanks. Makeup, yeah. Banks said we can't compare whatever happens this season to Cameron yeah. Dicker. Like yeah. that's not fair. And no. and I get it, but um you've got to try and make a dent in in what dicker did and i agree with you on jeff banks i said banks would be the first assistant from sark staff to get a head coaching job and i would have been right because he would be the head coach at washington state right now his alma mater uh if not for monkey gate last year that that monkey business got him tim rolovich didn't want to um get vaccinated and they fired him and jeff banks was going to be his replacement but then the halloween party monkey gate so texas fans be thankful uh for gia the monkey because uh jeff banks is still here recruiting his butt off that guy never stops and if you pay attention to uh mike roach and hudson standish and listen to the state of recruiting podcast they'll probably bring up jeff banks name if not every podcast every other podcast but um Taylor, so those are the highlights. You know, um, the the return game is going to be Xavier worthy. Um, Jeff Banks did say he's thankful for Zach Edwards, who's replacing Justin Motter as the snapper. And they have a new holder because uh, Ryan Buchevsky was the holder. He's gone. Uh, and so now I think Isaac Pearson's going to be the holder. So we'll see how that goes. But they're replacing everything. The snapper, the holder the kicker the punter uh the field you know uh not just field goal kicking but kickoff so uh exciting nerve-wracking time for the texas kicking game heading into uh fall camp which starts on wednesday make sure you're over at horns 247.com for all the updates we will be at practice we will be mining our sources for all the latest intel 
Um, Taylor, let's get to those position rankings. So we've been, or position battle rankings, sorry. Um, we've rated the top six position battles going into fall camp. Uh, number six was the uh, defensive tackle, the inner part of the defensive line, which is, Steve, according to Steve Sarkeesian and Pete Kwiatkowski, going to be the strength of the team. We've been saying that Byron Murphy needs to be the guy. It sounds like uh, Pete Kwiatkowski agrees with us. Uh, number five was weak side linebacker, the battle between David Benda and Diamante Tucker Dorsey uh, to free up DeMarvin over Sean to move to the strong side linebacker and shoot gaps and rush the passer. Number three, safety. And I did, uh, Jaron Thompson, pretty much against Keaton Crawford for the field safety position. And I wrote in the morning brew on Monday, that battle may not be as close as we think. Uh, I had a team source who I totally respect say that Jaron Thompson is pretty far out front in that battle and Keaton Crawford needs to close the gap. So we'll see. Um, and that leads us to position battle number two in our ranking heading into fall camp Taylor. Yep. No surprise here. It is the one that we ranked as the biggest concern for Texas going into the season. It's the offensive line. We were going to point out like specific positions. We're just like, no, nah, it's the whole offensive line. Let's be honest. I mean, Everything. it's, it's open. It's a uh, open season on the offensive line at Texas. Yeah. And it's, it's like we said, I mean, we kind of hit on all this when we talked about what Kyle flood had to say to the media. Um, it's exciting that there's rave reviews from players. Like when we went to media day, we heard from players, Roshan Johnson, B. John Robinson, um, and Ovia Gofood, how Marvin grown Everett, up, yeah. how hardworking guys like Calvin Banks and Devin Campbell have been and and how massive Cam Williams is at 374 and and how mature, you know, Cole Hudson, Connor Robertson, Malik Agbo, Nato, Yumi Zolu are. And and I've said here on the flagship podcast, I've heard from team sources, they feel like all these guys might end up being hits. They're not just saying that either. Sarkeesian said if if we get half of them to be impact players, that's that's the average, 50%. Um, in your recruiting class, if you can get 50% of your recruiting class to be impact guys, that's about the average. And they feel like they might have hit on all these offensive linemen. That's outstanding for Texas. And they've already got big-time commitments in the 2023 class. Um, listen to the you know, flagship, uh, or excuse me, listen to the state of recruiting with with Roach and and Hudson to to get all that. So um it's fun and exciting and it's nerve-wracking, Taylor. But by God, they gotta be better uh at left tackle than they were last year. No offense to Christian Jones, but he led the team in penalties, sacks given up, and pressures given up. And that's the quarterback's blind side. That that has to improve. It has to be better. And I get the feeling Kelvin Banks may end up being the guy. Yeah. And and it's hard to say that, honestly, that it has to improve because I'm not sure that from an experience, from the, I think the talent wise, the offensive line is in a better situation this year than it was last year. 
but the talent is so it's all inexperienced. So you can't really expect that, you know, five stars to come in and be five stars or all American day one there. I mean, it's such a tough position to, to learn and, you know, just get accustomed to from the high school to the college level. It's just such a massive jump in what you face and you just everything from it. I mean, you know, it, it's, it's such a, it, it's such a crucial position. It's the, the faceless, nameless guys a lot of times, but they're the most valuable people aside from the quarterback on the field, in my opinion. And, you know, this is, uh, from a talent standpoint, yeah, the, the overall group is probably more talented, but it's less experienced this year. And that's a concern. And, you know, you just hope, I think that not only, I think it's fair to say that Texas is going to be relying on at least one true freshman, if not two, at some point in the season on the offensive line. The thing that you have to be concerned about is their mental makeup of if they do have a poor performance, how that actually long-term impacts us. I told this, I'll just recap it real quick, a quick story from media days when I was talking to um, okay, Sam Mays, from, who was an All-American at Oklahoma State under Mike Gundy back in the day, and he talked about how having – it being a young offensive lineman, when you have that bad game, he had one and he went home to his parents' house because he could not shake it. It took him a long time. And this is a guy that turned into an All-American. Those are the things that you, you know, you sadly kind of have to expect. And so this is, I mean, you hope that the the dog mentality that Kelvin Banks and some of these young guys are showing in the locker room in the summer offseason training program um, shows up on the field. Obviously, that's the number one hope. And you hope it does it soon because I, I mean, this group still because is. Will Anderson Achilles and still. Dallas Turner are coming. Yeah. And yeah, you, Texas wants to think that they can compete in the SEC. They struggled to compete against Arkansas last year. Now they're facing Alabama. I mean, there's, there's just so, there's such a far, um, it's still a far journey to get to the end goal, I think, on the offensive line. And, um, you know, you hope it happens sooner rather than later if you're a Texas fan. But I just, I mean, I can't, it's hard for me to say much about how good this offense is going to be without knowing what this offensive line is going to be this year. Yeah. And you got quiet quarterbacks. You're not going to know about what's going on with this football team until adversity strikes and it's going to strike. You hope it's not week one against Louisiana yeah. Monroe. You know, it's coming week two with Will Anderson, 17 and a half sacks, Heisman finalist last year, Dallas Turner, who looked wiry and like needed to put on weight, finished with eight and a half sacks last year. Those guys are bookends. Um, yeah, it's, we're gonna, we aren't gonna know what this team, this Texas team is all about from a culture standpoint, from a uh, togetherness standpoint until they are, smacked in the face with adversity and we'll find out most likely on September 10th. Yep. All right, Taylor, that is position battle ranking number two going into fall camp, which starts Wednesday. Number one, guess what? <laughs> Ta-da! Hudson card versus Quinn yours. And I do find this interesting and I think it's reassuring. Um, and I wrote about this in the insider that Hudson card is, he feels like he was the better quarterback in the spring. 
and is absolutely planning on winning this battle um, in fall camp. And so we heard a lot from Steve Sarkeesian about the, the new rules allowing coaches to coach the team, like on-field practice with a ball, without pads, and that they got way more hands-on work with, um, you know, not only uh, the offensive line, those freshmen that, that they really needed to help bring along, uh, but Quinn Ewers, a guy who came in, uh, was here for the spring, was not comfortable with the offense, turned the ball over a lot in the spring. But Steve Sarkeesian said it, Big 12 Media Days, he's come light years in his comfortability with the offense. Okay, now we got to see it. Now we got to see how it's executed, see how he does in those scrimmages uh, on Saturdays during fall camp and and see if he can protect the football because that is, you know, number one is knowledge of the offense to be able to line everyone up and know exactly what the bleep is going on. Number two is protecting the football. And if Hudson card has a better feel for the offense and is protecting the football better, he's going to be the starter. So this, even though all the fans and even us to a degree have said Quinn Ewers is the pocket pro style quarterback that Steve Sarkeesian wanted and coveted and brought here. He didn't recruit Hudson card. Um, Hudson card has the uh, experience advantage, the, you know, more time in the offense and uh, and we'll see, we'll see if he can, you know, prove to be a pocket quarterback and have pocket presence. Cause last year he didn't have pocket presence. He was tucking and running and it, it just led to uh, a mess. Yeah. The one thing that Steve Sarkeesian said on Tuesday was that, um, you know, it's not just about, Hudson Card's comfort level in the system in year two and how he's operating is also how that exudes to his teammates and impacts the performance of everyone around him and not just himself. And that to me, Chip, was a call for on his leadership and what they really want to see from him. And not even just from him, but probably at the position in general between him and Quinn Ewers, with both of them being a little bit more of the quiet guys. If you're going to be a quiet guy, that's fine, but you better hope that your performance when you're on the field is almost um, contagious, you know, to where other guys around you start performing better because you're the one guy that touches the ball on every single play offensively. So that, that to me was more of a, all right, Hudson, you may not be that verbal outspoken quarterback, but you better hope that your performance once you take the field is on point so much that it actually makes the players around you better. That's a, that's a tall task to ask for sure of a kid that I know he's a redshirt sophomore, but really I, I know people are probably annoyed of me saying this. His true freshman year was not a normal true freshman type of redshirt season just because of COVID, not having spring ball, not having a normal summer camp or uh, summer workouts, fall camp, even not even a regular season. It was just a different situation. I feel like he's probably a little bit further behind than a lot of people would have liked to see him be, but a lot of that I think is outside of his outside of his control at this point. But it doesn't matter. I mean, they've got a Texas got to win. They've got to win now. Steve Sarkeesian is known for being that quarterback developer, the quarterback guru, one of the best in the sport. I mean, my goodness, Arch Manning's coming to Texas. Not saying that he doesn't want to come to Texas, but let's be honest, it's because he wants to be developed by Steve Sarkeesian. And so he's also, you know, there's a lot of pressure on Sark too to make sure that position is right. And I think in year one, it was up and down. 
you know, he didn't have his guys. Well, he did bring a guy in that is more of his prototypical type of quarterback that he uses in his system that he feels more comfortable with. And, you know, if, if for some reason beats out Quinn Ewers, then it's got to be, I think, almost just um, instant. Like you see it and it's like, oh, there's no question that he should be the starter. It can't be one of those, oh, he has a good play and then has like four bad ones. You know what I mean? I feel like it's it's like kind of, unfortunately for Hudson Card, it's kind of now or never a little bit. But even for the position in general, I think that, um, you know, the biggest thing is it's Sark, I think, pointed out by saying that without actually specifically saying it, you that you know, if you're going to be Hudson Card, you've got to make sure that your play is so good that other guys around you are playing better because of how well it's a, infectious almost. You want your quarterback play to infect the offense in a positive way. Yeah, and you want Hudson Card to stick around the yeah. way that Shane Bouchelle, you know, if if Hudson doesn't win the job, and I'm not, I'm not saying one way or the other because you got to see it and it's got to play out on the field before you just anoint someone. Uh, but if Hudson Card does not win the job, I think he'll he'll stick around certainly for this football season, just like uh, you know Shane Bouchelle did. And man, they needed Shane Bouchelle in that 2018 season when he came in against Baylor for an injured Sam Ellinger and started the whole game or whatever against Iowa State. And those were two tough games that. Bouchelle helped them win. Uh, they need Hudson Card or Quinn Ewers, whoever doesn't win the job, to be that guy. And Steve Sarkeesian at least sounds like uh, both of those quarterbacks are engaged that way. All right, Taylor, um, you ready for some love it or leave it? I am. Before we get to love it or leave it, we're going to take a really quick break, but stick around because football season is actually upon us. It's not just us talking off-season talk, but we have a lot more football talk coming up, so stay tuned. We will be right back. Chip, you ready for some love it or leave it? Let's go. All right. My first one for you is love it or leave it. You feel worse about the defense after hearing from Pete Kwiatkowski than you did before his press conference on Tuesday. Um, you know, I'm going to leave this, but good heavens, if – I don't know that they showed the Pete Kwiatkowski press conference on LHN, but if it's on YouTube or whatever, uh, watch it because he's, he looks like a dog with his tail between his legs. He looks embarrassed because a year ago he was telling us that a successful defense is one that uh, holds opponents to 20 points or less per game. And then he fields a defense that gives up 31.1 points per game and sets all kinds of negative records with rushing yards given up. So I'm going to leave this because I know Pete Kwiatkowski is a good coach. And as we said, his teams were prepared. They did play well early in football games, sometimes only a quarter, but, um, and gave up way too many points and were the reason the team lost against Oklahoma and Kansas. But, um, I, I'm going to leave this, 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 defense has to be better year two player familiarity enough talent interior uh on the interior defensive line led by byron murphy they're gonna move to marvin over sean around and then pray that secondary is good uh i'm gonna i'm gonna leave this taylor how about you yeah i'm gonna leave it i think you know the it's steve sarkeesian's type of rule where he does not allow his 
coaches, his assistant coaches, coordinators. Yes, yeah, a Nick Saban mentality. Not a Pete thing. Yes, and you know he he doesn't allow them to talk to the media because he doesn't want them worrying about anything other than getting the team ready to go week in and week out for games, which I understand that to an extent. Um, but this is where it can backfire because I feel like it was almost a little bit unfair for Pete Kwiatkowski to be pestered the way he was a little bit when I think everyone expects the defense to be better, you know, and, but it's just the fact that he hasn't had a chance to explain himself from last year or explain anything honestly about what went wrong last year. I mean, this is literally the first time we've spoken to him in 12 months. So um, you know, I'm probably I'm the last gonna, time for the next 12 yeah. months. Oh yeah, for sure. And so I'm not, I'm not going to take anything that he said today and be like, Oh, this is a bad sign for the defense in 2022. I'm going to take it as man, that sucks that he had to go all this time hearing about how bad the defense is. And then he finally gets a chance to talk about the future and all of it is about the bad defense from last year. So um, I'm definitely going to leave it. I don't feel any differently about the defense after hearing from him. If anything, I kind of appreciated, you know, him kind of making little jokes. I mean, he's a very straight and narrow type of guy making the, the pass rush joke. Because I think I feel like the things he said, while he didn't say a lot, he or verbalized a lot. He said a lot by the way that he did answer some of these questions. And so, I mean, I think it's pretty clear his concern from last year was about lack of talent mentality more so than anything else and you know unfamiliarity and lack of trust um among the players too so you hope if you're him and if you're a texas fan that the that that mentality is out the window and that this defense will be better i think it's got to be better it's going to be hard to be worse i think um so yeah i'm going to leave that one all right number two Number two, love it or leave it. You agree with Steve Sarkeesian that the three biggest questions heading into fall camp are offensive line, secondary, and the kicking game. Well, I would put run defense first. Run defense. Because that's where it all went to hell last year. If you can't stop the run, you have no chance. So um, either Steve Sarkeesian feels a whole lot better about his defense's ability to stop the run uh, to where now it is all about the secondary. Uh, but uh, I'm going to leave this because I would put the run defense a number one front and center. Um, then probably the secondary and then the offensive line, the kicking game is a concern, but they can sort of manipulate that a little bit. Um, in terms of going forward on fourth down or or whatever. To me, the nuts and bolts of this football team are going to be made or broken on the ability to stop the run, the offensive line's ability to open holes, especially in the second second half for Bijan Robinson, and then the secondary's ability to play the tight man coverage that Steve Sarkeesian's talking about to free up a safety to help in stopping the run. So uh, – I'm going to leave this, Taylor. How about you? I'm going to love it. I think that those are the three areas that I feel like we've been I've been talking about all offseason. I mean, um, you know, the offensive line, it everything, the offense will only be as good as what the offensive line allows it to be. Now, it doesn't have to do a ton of work when it comes to the run game, but still, there's so much there's so many weapons at receiver that Texas has to utilize this year and they have two quarterbacks that are capable of making the throws to the receivers. But 
they need time, right? They need some time to actually, you know, get the ball and make their reads before somebody's straight in their face. And that was an issue that Texas had last year. And this offensive line is even less experienced. So, um, you know, I think that these are the three biggest concerns for sure. Kicking game, yes, like obviously you can try to avoid it as much as possible. But again, if it's fourth down and you want to go for it to avoid the kicking game from messing something up, you need the offensive line to do his job too. And so it all kind of comes back to square one. So the, you know, the the um run defense obviously needs to improve substantially. And but at the end of the day, I think these are the three biggest concerns. All right. Number three. Final one. Love it or leave it. Your breakout player in fall camp will be a freshman offensive lineman. Um, that would be amazing, but I'm going to have to leave this uh, because the breakout player in fall camp uh, needs to be uh, Quinn Ewers or like Jalen Ford. You know, a guy who can really impact one side of the ball um, definitively on every single play. And so I am going to leave this, Taylor. How about you? Uh, yeah, I'm definitely going to leave this. And I, I agree. I think that you hope that the breakout player is either one of the quarterbacks, honestly. Um, I think everybody wants it. A lot of Texas fans, I should say, want it to be Quinn Ewers. But if, if it's Hudson Card, then Texas is in a good position, especially if it shows out on game day and not just in practice. I mean, that that's the the number one question, right? You can be a great practice player, but you got to be a great player when the lights turn on too. So you want to see it, you know, go over into games. But I think whichever quarterback, you want it to be the breakout player. And then, you know, Jalen Ford's been one that has been talked up a lot. Even Pete Bukowski talked about he's been excellent this offseason. Um you hope that continues being at the you know linebacker position, and the better he is, I mean, it frees up you know Demarvin Overshawn to help out with the pass rush and um, getting after the opposing quarterbacks too. So yeah, I think I'm definitely leaving it. <laughs> I mean, it'd be great if a freshman offensive lineman was the breakout player, but that's that's a a lot of pressure to put on guys that have been on the you know on campus for less than two months at this point. Yeah, fair enough. All right, there you have it, kids. We have uh, just wrapped up the State of the Union from Steve Sarkeesian, Pete Kwiatkowski, uh, Kyle Flood, and Jeff Banks. Fall camp starts Wednesday. Um, so for Taylor Estes, I am Chip Brown. We'll see you over at Horns247.com. In the meantime, stay safe and keep the faith.